What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the hardworking happy hour. I'm Sean. And I am Catherine. And as always, we'll be breaking down all things trades, entrepreneurship, and turning your creativity into a passion career. And we have an exceptionally exciting guest today. We have Glenn Matthewson. Is it Matthewson or Matheson? Matthewson. Matthewson. Get that W in there. Get that W (laughs) in there. Glenn Matthewson, the penultimate deck and building code man wizard uh, expert. Loudmouth. Loudmouth. Yeah. Uh, Cheerleader. (laughs) uh, Advocate. Yeah, advocate. What else? What else? What do we got? What other kind of... Freedom fighter. Freedom fighter. uh, Seeking balance and collaboration with others in what the built environment should be. (laughs) So uh, for those of you that are not familiar with Glenn Matthewson, he is the the king of codes. He is uh, somebody that has found a way to make building codes interesting. And even on TikTok, he has found his footing. That's where I follow you on on TikTok. And I feel like you explain things so nicely. uh, Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to... That's Scrub where he found his joke. footing. His footing, yeah. You, <laughs> I got it. I got just, it. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to gloss it over it. That was yeah. a good, that was was a good one. That Colorado. was a great yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he really found his peering. <laughs> All right, that was a stretch. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I forgot what I was saying now. Yeah, Dude, I'm awesome yeah. on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. what it was. Exactly. You're awesome on TikTok, and you're great at explaining things. Yeah. Great, great. Yeah, and I think there is an age-old battle between contractors and the powers that be the building department and the inspector yes. and uh i think you are bringing some peace uh you are a uh you are a an olive branch metaphorically yep. kind of bridging mm-hmm. the gap between uh you know the frustrations that builders have with the building department and also explaining to builders the reason why these things are important uh, and how really, if you are a legit builder that you need to, you need to respect this and, and realize that it's there in the end to benefit you. It's to weed out the people that, I mean, hopefully some, some people still get through without the permit and do really shoddy work. But in the end, it's, it's supposed to protect the builder, protect the homeowner, protect lives. You know, I think, um, no, absolutely. Folks, you know, life safety, you mentioned protecting lives. I mean, I hear that all the time. You know, the code is about life safety. The code is about life safety. And yes, that is one component of it, but that's really not at all even the complete story. Building codes are about society's expectation of the built environment. And that includes all aspects of things. And that's why we're always the code is always chasing society and it should always chase society. Now, there are times that folks try to propose ideas or things where we would have the code leading society. That's where you get into the talk of agendas and what's the narrative, right? And we can get into that whole discussion. But really, society is supposed to be free to explore, to innovate new technologies, new ideas based on the desires of we the people, what we're looking for. And then the building code comes behind that and provides protections, regulations, um, establishes benchmarks and baselines for what the, you know, society has decided. But I think that the, one of the biggest things that I see out there confused with builders in code is there's two codes. There's government code, and then there's the model code. And the model code is revised and redone every three years to stay current and follow society. 
anyone can propose a change to that proposal. It's 100% or to that code. It's all transparent. All the records are clear. It's international. All opinions are welcome. And then they're balanced out to create this model code. That is then suggested to governments to say, hey, here's a starting point for your governance. But governments, well, they're also often behind the times and in some localities, they're ahead of the times. We have that as well. Governments yeah. leading people are following. So a lot of governments, maybe I, I brought it up in my presentation here in the Deck Superstore in Colorado, we have jurisdictions that have no building code. And then we have them on every edition of the I-Code from 2000 to 21. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the government code that you're happy that you passed inspection could be 15-year-old information. What if you were using the decking products from 15 years ago or the tools or the, the cameras or like the drones? Yeah. Everything else we update, mm -hmm. but we stick with government code as this benchmark. So that's something I try to really make a distinction of is there's the government code, satisfy the local rules. There's the model code. Elevate your ceiling as a professional. Yeah. Do you, do you ever find that, because uh, that was something that I didn't necessarily know that every time there's an IRC update, that it's not necessarily adopted by the townships. You know, they could be yeah. working off the 2009 version or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them do. When, when you actually go and look at what they are basing their inspections on, it is on a very outdated uh you know, code. Uh, is there ever, uh, I've, I have the feeling that usually um, the codes as they progress and as new codes come out, it is usually building to a higher standard. Um, but are there some things where, you know, in a previous code, uh, it might have been maybe a little bit overkill and now... Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm itch. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> like, these are the truths that you don't hear. You know, I've attended the, the ICC code hearings for the last decade, uh, first in 2013 for the creation of the 2015 code. Um, and, and yes, I mean, through, so I'll give you some examples. I can, I can think yeah. of two really quickly. Um, many deck builders prior to, I believe it changed, it changed in the 15 code. The 2009 IRC, we had to measure guard height from bench surfaces. There was a change, and this was related to children climbing rails. This is way back from the history of horizontal rails in 2000 code that was pulled. There was a committee that reevaluated uh, re that, and they came out with, well, you need to measure the guard height from bench, from fixed bench seating. And so we, we have lots of decks where people are building built-in bench seating into the guard, and now that guard would need to be not 36 inches high, but four and a half feet high if you have an 18-inch high bench. Yeah. Well, the Colorado chapter of ICC, which is a local chapter of the International Code Council, and the majority of the members are the local building inspectors around here. They have a code change committee where they come together and suggest changes. They propose to eliminate that and not measure from fixed seating anymore because builders were simply making the seating not fixed. They were yeah. just building the furniture and detaching. And, and we basically argued, you know, this is furniture. But the interesting thing is, so in the 2015, that was reversed. But what I love is it actually came from building inspectors that reversed it. And then one you can see in current codes, and this is something that I teach in modern times now, the 2021 IRC increased, uh, this is off deck subject, but it increased the requirement uh, instead of a six mil vapor retarder under concrete on slab, um, concrete on gray yeah. floors 
it upped it to a 10 mil vapor retarder that has to comply with an ASTM standard. That went in the 21 code approved change for 21. 24 code, the NAHB argued that there's not sufficient products on the market that meet that and that there's just not enough need for that heavy thickness of a vapor retarder and immediately it went back to the six mil. So that's an example where you saw it literally change from one edition and change right back in the next edition. And it's the importance of speaking, of, of not just accepting things as they are, but every year is up for reevaluation and a new person can come and make a new argument. That's something I didn't, I didn't quite realize the process of, of how these codes come about. It seems like for a lot of people that are out there building, it's just like, this is just the code. It comes from somewhere high above. I, I don't know where these things come from, but I have to abide by it. But something I've, I've seen from following you and, and you know, you've really pushed that this is a collaborative experience and anyone is welcome to submit these things. You know, you, uh, I think you posted some stuff of you presenting in front of, uh, uh, some sort of hearing on, mm -hmm. you know, the, these things. And it, it kind of makes it more, you kind of see how these things happen. It's like the, the, the chambers of, uh, constructive construction government, you know, you, you kind of see what's happening behind the scenes and you realize, you know, you can kind of have, uh, a voice in this, you know, you don't just have to accept these things how they are. Um, and that's like something through Nadra. I know you work with them a lot mm -hmm. that, you know, they kind of like put that platform out there where, you know, uh, an individual builder can kind of at least give input to somebody like you. That's then going to like be more involved in the process. And it, I think more than anything, it, it, it makes you accept the things that you might not totally agree with or think are a little bit overkill in the code. And you say, you know what, this is, this is one little negative side effect of this collaborative effort, but essentially I do have some say in this. And if it's really bothering me that much that, Hey, I can go and, uh, you know, present at these hearings or, or whatever and propose a change to it. And, uh, I think that it just makes it feel a little bit less like you're just abiding by this nameless, faceless mm -hmm. uh, committee that, that you don't really have any interaction with. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. One of the things that I really also just love about attending the hearings is it is one of the most educational opportunities out there because it's, um, it's very – it's not just – like going to a class and you're given facts that have already been determined and established and now you just learn this. You go there and you'll listen. Like, um, I, I remember vividly in the 2021 codes, uh, what's the big trend, right, in society, right? Electric cars and electric, you know, and electrification. And so um, energy storage systems becoming more popular. And so in 2021, there were lots of changes to energy storage systems in the code. And you literally had Toyota and Tesla at building code hearings, <laughs> sharing their experience and knowledge and expertise about electric cars and electric storage systems. And you get up there and you listen to this Tesla expert or whatever. And it's just like, wow, that's amazing. That is so like, God, that guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And then the other expert comes up in opposition and you're like, wait, he, that's really interesting <laughs> yeah. too. And that guy really knows what he's talking to. And what you come to realize is that there aren't definitive answers to most of the questions the code provides. There are independent experts and experts with organizations on both sides 
and they both have great arguments and yeah. and so it, it's bringing them together and you realize that you know that it's not this this oh, you know <laughs> perfect thing that's been delivered through some you know amazing it's an amazing process but it's the humans we're still all involved with it so icc gives you education credits for renewing your code certifications for attending the hearings because it is so educational so if you are ever if you're in a deck builder but it may be again if you're in construction and you have an interest in these things and you know that the icc hearings are in your town is no cost to attend. You can leave anytime you want. Pop in and sit down for a little bit and see how it's made. Yeah. It'll be eye-opening. I would love to do I that. I would love to do that, too. Yeah, that yeah. Would, be, would be really interesting to hear. And I think it's it's when I hear you get excited about uh, certain elements of the building code, it's, it's the elements of, you know, the things that aren't so definitive. I think a lot of people the things that they get frustrated with in the building code are typically the things like that fixed rail height. Like, okay, this is, this is not, uh, it's not like a structural, uh, engineering type of thing on the strength and the, and the durability of this. It's, it's more, is this safe? Is this not safe? You know, and, and people get kind of caught up on those, those little things that are just kind of like annoying little details. But I think when you look at it in a different light and you start not only just trying to like memorize this part of the code, this has to be this way, but you look at it um, as, as far as why is it like that? Like what about this? Why, uh, why can't you uh, drill a hole through a joist here, but you can over here? Why can you uh, notch out a bird's mouth for a rafter cut? But what are the parameters? I remember I reached out to you about, you know, all these different things about, okay, I know, you know, we, we kind of cut a bird's mouth a standard way, but we were in a situation where like wanted to get it a little bit lower. I'm like, can I just cut more out of the bird's mouth? What, what is the, how much of this? So I reached out to you and you were like, look at this portion of the code. And this is going to explain exactly what you need. This is the height above plate. This is, you can, I forget what it was, cut one third out of the, <laughs> the height. And it, it was like, when you look at that stuff and you go a little bit deeper into like the technical engineering of it, I think that's really fascinating. And a lot of builders would get more excited about it, but they get stuck on the really annoying things. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our, our step tread is, uh, has a three quarter inch nosing overhang instead of a one inch, you know, and, and some, some jurisdictions care about that. And it seems like such a minuscule thing. It doesn't affect the, the quality of the build, but, uh, I think that's such a small part of the building code. Most of it is really interesting and exciting. Like, how do they come up with these things? And, and what, uh, you know, once you learn that, you can kind of learn how to use those codes and, and those parameters to, like, build cooler structures. Yeah. You know, I think that's what's interesting. Totally. It, again, if, if folks are only learning the code, air quotes, via continually taking exams over and over again, the inspection process, the the plan review process. That's essentially just an exam. There's been no prior, like where, where was the teaching prior to taking the exam? But so many folks understanding of code is through iterations of exams, right? What did the inspector not catch? What did the inspector catch? But none of that is, is presenting to say, do you, you did it this way. Like you did something some way and it's fine. So the inspector said nothing past inspection 
but you never knew that you could actually do it five different other ways. Yeah. yeah. But you just think it always has to be done this way because that's how it, and you did it a different way and it failed. Well, that wasn't one of the other five ways you can do it. Yeah. And so when you actually go into the code to, to learn it as your tool, as a, as a professional, not as a government weapon, you realize, oh my gosh, this, this offers me way more choice and flexibility than I realized. Um, you know, headers is one of those examples I teach in my class. Like the code gives multiple ways to build headers. Um, you know, like and that's off of decks, but in, you yeah. know, in opening in a wall. Uh, and, and the code, and it does that with decks as well. There's lots of opportunity in there for cantilevering joists, cantilevering beams. Um, notching at bearing, you know. A lot of builders don't know. You can notch a 2x10 at bearing down to the height of a 2x8. And they would say, oh, well, now I can only consider it a 2x8. No, you can still span it as a 2x10. Yeah. And there's reasons for it. You yeah. know, you just you have to actively choose on your own to make the code yours, not a response of your government. Something that, that I just looked into recently was uh, collar ties and being able to remove collar ties and replace them with strapping from uh, rafter to rafter yeah. over top of the ridge. And it was always my just, you know, general understanding based on nothing really, I guess, that collar ties are going to keep your walls from moving out. And then I started looking into the fact that you can strap over the top. And then I realized the purpose of collar ties is actually not for that. Yep. <laughs> the, that's for that's what rafter ties are for, yeah. which are in the lower third there of the go. triangle. So, <laughs> you get me all excited. Uh, <laughs> smiling, and, uh, and it was interesting. I was talking about that to uh, the building inspector because on our plans, we had collar ties spec 48 inches on center. And I wanted a little bit more flexibility. So I was thinking about... Um, reaching out to our architect and seeing if they would write a note that we could, you know, be more flexible with the collar ties and just strap uh, from rafter to rafter over top of the ridge. And uh, we ended up not doing that, but um, the inspector was, he was under the impression that, you know, the collar ties are keeping your walls from moving out. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. uh, and I was under that same impression, but it, it's interesting that where it's at and, and you kind of like look at it, and you're like, yeah, that that makes sense. It's tying these two together. That would keep the walls from moving out. But, uh, but it's not doing that. And I think there's so many things like that that people just think they have an understanding of, and they kind of just take it as, yeah, that's what that does. That's why that's there. But they don't really understand, and it it limits them being able to do some different things, especially when it comes to design. Like like if we wanted to, we could have taken out all of those collar ties, strapped from rafter to rafter. Our architect would have approved it. And we would have been fine, but it took me looking into it to know that, to uh, know that that's even a possibility. Yeah. And it's been a possibility for a long yeah. time. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. I collect vintage code books and I am fun at parties. Okay. I, <laughs> I, collect, I collect vintage code books and vintage construction guides because previous to code books, you get into federal guides and things like that. And collar ties, rafter ties, like these concepts go back a hundred years and I feel like a lot of that's been forgotten. You know, a lot of construction has become now um, assembly line. You know, I mean, I remember doing inspections on apartment complexes, wood frame, uh, three-story, and they're not just one framing crew. There was a wall crew, a floor crew, 
a truss crew and a truss sheathing crew. And all they do all day is set trusses. And all these guys do all day is build walls. So even the job as a framer, and plumbing is like that. You've got the different plumbing. Now, one guy, all I do is the trim. All I do are the undergrounds. And so we've, we've systemized out for business purposes. I get it. Like, that's why we all work. But what we've done is, unfortunately, I think, um, I hate to say it. I wish I had a more friendly way to say it. Like, dumbed down the construction industry. And I, and I yeah. don't mean that to be negative but mm-hmm. lack of a better way to say it we're, we're losing some of our skills and some of our arts yeah and a lot of this stuff is is still embedded in the basic prescriptive design provisions of the code yeah um you know a lot of framers have ne- don't even know how to cut in a roof anymore all they know is trusses so they how can we expect them to understand the concept of a rafter tie trusses have it built in yeah yeah that that is that is really interesting because i Obviously, everywhere you go, and especially in New Jersey, there's apartment complexes and condos and everything being built super close together and really big. And it's, it's, it's essentially almost the same thing that we do. We're building, we're you know, cutting stuff, we're building a structure, but it's so different because, yeah, people like, like the carpenter unions by us, like you would think, yeah, they, they, I don't know, they do carpentry, they do whatever, but really all they're doing is like, metal studs and drop ceilings like that's what they do by us that's like what the carpenters unions do so it's it's funny that that has become so kind of ingrained in us to systemize everything to that extent where somebody that's a framer really might not know anything about how to cut rafters which is just like seems like such a basic mm-hmm. thing um and and i guess that's necessary to build these gargantuan apartment complexes in the time that they do. And, you know, everything's trusses and, and everything like that. So you don't need to, but it's, uh, I think it, it takes a little bit of the, just that, that full picture understanding mm-hmm. of what we're doing and how all the pieces come together to create this thing that won't fall down. Hopefully, <laughs> you know, no, so true. Yeah. I and mean, one of the toughest things as an inspector doing, you know, I was doing building, plumbing, mechanical inspections, and, you know, just each individual trade did what they were supposed to do right, but they overlap and brutalize each other's work on top of each other. I mean, the, some of the photos I have are, are just ridiculous, where yeah. it's like, well, everything would have been fine if these two trades just understood a little bit about each other's trades yeah, and, you know, weren't stepping on each other's feet. You know, it's like the choreography of a, of a, of a big dance show of a bunch of dancers they don't only know their moves. They have an awareness of other people's moves, and they cue off other moves, you know? Or same with actors. And I've never been in that industry, but I'm pretty sure they prepare together as a group so that the final presentation, no one's stepping on each other's toes. Yeah. But we're losing that. We, we don't see that these days in construction the same as we used to. Um, yeah, it's like taking the craft out of it. You're yeah. just in there to get a job done, and then... Well, it's, in, like, it's a lot more... Um, what's the... Like, things have become more of an installation process than mm-hmm. a craft process. Yeah. Like I have, a, again, a 1940s, 1930s federal government book on uh, framing, for, for framing a house, building a house. And you go in there and it's giving you engineering education. It talks about deflection. It talks about tension in the, in, and compression in the cords of the, of the joists. It talks about notching and why, and it gives these details. And it's talking about a craft, a trade, a skill. Uh, it seems like the similar type of documents these days are more about how do you install it? 
Yeah. Do you know step one, step two, step three? Now go to the next one and make some money. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's very true, yeah. and uh, I think I think we've talked. We, that is definitely a reality in the trades in general, and with uh, I guess just capitalism you know build more faster bigger quicker uh you know at the minimum standards for uh passing inspection and we see a lot of that with uh, developments that go up and all that kind of stuff where we are adding on a deck with the roof structure and we're like they used uh osb to span uh this roof sheathing when it's 24 on center and you know uh i didn't even look into it long enough to see whether or not it was uh, technically to code or an engineer would pass that, but I'm like, I know that as we're tying into this, I don't want to walk on this because I'm scared. I'm going to, I'm going to fall through it because it's just like, if it is passing, it's the very minimum. Um, so I think we've talked about that enough. What do you think about the other side of that? Cause I think we are seeing a lot of people that, uh, you know, kind of like you with the codes and uh, a lot of people on the building science side of it that are uh, almost to to a comical degree trying to perfect things like uh, insulation and all of these kind of uh, values to, to really perfect something uh, and go the complete opposite end of the spectrum. You know, what what do you think about some of those people that are just, we're already building amazingly well-crafted homes and, and they're making it their mission to just further building science to, you know, get to these ridiculous amounts of insulation and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, these are tough and controversial subjects in society today. Um, I, I have to say that in general, I think one of our important things that we shouldn't forget about is affordable housing is, is that a house First and foremost, the very first thing a house is, is human shelter. And, you know, watch your survival shows on TV. I love them. What do you need to do, right? Find water, shelter, and you can wait for food. Food, your body can go. But those are the three things, water, shelter, and food. And we all understand that. But then when we get into talking building codes, I feel like we tend to bring our preferences, our desires. We want to lead the code. And then... And truthfully, a lot of the voices, I believe, that are out there for increasing energy efficiency, increasing sustainability, increasing the perfection of the human shelter, unfortunately, I'm, I mean, again, I'll say it, is they're, they're not folks that are um, just wishing to own their own home someday. They're probably not folks living in an apartment complex that's run down somewhere. And dare I say someone that's experienced homelessness before, which I haven't, but their voice wanting to progress building codes in that direction, I respect, I appreciate, I, I dream of building a zero energy house myself, I'm not against any of it, but I know that voice comes from a place of have, not have not. Yeah. That voice is not worried about having human shelter. That voice is as wonderful for them. They're at a privileged, they've earned that privilege. I don't mean, be so careful what's a negative word. They've earned their way to be where they are in the world. That is wonderful for them. So for them, the idea of just affordable human shelter is, is out of touch. Like, let's push the envelope further. And those folks, I'm like, hey, you know, if you can't sell increased insulation levels to the family living in an apartment, just hoping someday to have a backyard, 
then you need to sell it to them. And you need to figure out why it's important to them, not just you and your buddies that have nice cars and nice houses. And it's a hard pill to swallow, but the people that are making these choices that can go and contribute to code hearings and can be involved with that, they're not struggling for shelter. You know, they're not barbecuing in the mud. (laughs) <laughs> let, let, let's get, you know, let's, let's make decks better and better, like more decay resistant, more hardware. Let's increase the live loads. Those people aren't barbecuing in the grass and just yeah. hoping for a deck. So we need to bring in other voices and we need to get that balance. So that's kind of my feelings. I'm not against that movement. Yeah. Um, building science is a subject I love to teach. I, I've been teaching a lot about it lately. I've uh, been teaching at the Building Science Symposium. I'll be going to Maryland for the fourth edition of that symposium. It's put on the, by the BS and Beer guys. Um, and supported through fine home building. So I, I teach a lot of building science. And one thing I can say with, with building science is some of the changes we're seeing in the code are, are legit, and they're fixing some of the mistakes we made in the past, um, like insulating without thinking of how that affects dew point temperatures. Um, and we, we can see that we, we created a lot of the decay in our buildings through our efforts to make them better but not fully thinking through the science. And I, I want to get into that tangent. So some of those changes in building science are allowing more choices. Like in Colorado, it used to be warm in winter side, poly vapor retarder, warm in winter. That's on the inside. That's a class one vapor retarder. The newer 2021 code now offers options for using a class two vapor retarder or a class three vapor retarder. And you can use those in combination with exterior continuous insulation. So rather than controlling the vapor moving into the assembly, you simply control the temperature within the assembly. And that's another way to stop condensation. Using ventilated cladding, that allows that vapor to drive through the assembly and dry to the outside. Now you can use a class three vapor. So what it's done is it's expanded your options. When what used to be poly on the warm and winter side, now, now you've got four, five different options in this climate zone. Yeah. Um, that's you lost me a little bit there. I was trying to hang on as much as I could, Sorry. and I was I was I was losing, and I was like, oh, uh, now but that's I know what he's the talking point about. I to make. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you're still thinking pot like, then look at how much people that should be knowing that that are yeah. dealing with building wall assemblies. If if that was confusing or shocking, hey, guess what? Go. Then you need to get up to speed yeah. with the latest code. Yeah. I, I I love what you said about you know housing being affordable because that's. Uh, I, I just think that you're a really good ambassador for what you do because, uh, you know, that's something that I, I I wasn't even thinking about with, you know, when it comes to codes, you know, and, and that is a, a basic human right. And, and like, it's the definition of the American dream to have to home ownership, you know, all these things. And, you know, that is something that we have to balance, you know, the, the safety and the, the durability of a structure, but also not driving it to a point where it's not attainable for a huge majority of exactly. people. Uh, I, I just think that that's like just really eye opening to, to think we don't think of building codes in that way. We just yeah. think it's the inspector trying to pardon my French bust our balls for no reason. Cause they're <laughs> annoying, but like it is. And um, I, I just think that that's, that, that was like uh impactful for me at least to think That's of it awesome. in that way i mean if you go to the section of the irc uh purpose or intent you know they change the titles i think it's called purpose now but it, it spells out at the very beginning in chapter one what is the purpose what is the intention of this code and it lists right you know sanitation fire safety structural stability but you know what the first one is on the list and it's not because it's alphabetical affordability 
affordability is listed just as important as structural safety. And so when I teach building inspectors out there, because that's a huge part. I mean, that's where most of the industry for teaching code is. I'm trying to reach a new market. But I teach them that I say, look, you are as much a, a defendant, a protector to your community of their structural safety, sanitation, uh, energy efficiency, and you are also there to protect their affordability. It's listed right with all the other things. And even the building inspectors, boy, they need that message a lot to be proud to pass something that they would never allow at their house. Because what you are protecting is that other American citizen, your communities, you're protecting their affordability for their dreams to come true. And that should be something in building inspectors are proud and honor and go to bed at night and think, so glad I caught that steel beam that was missing. And then the next night you can go to bed and say, I'm so glad I pointed out to that builder that they, they didn't have to make their handrail continuous across the landing. And, and they were able to reduce the cost of that construction. And man, I protected that citizen of, of unnecessary costs for them to have their dream. If you are not a building inspector proud of providing that to your community, I encourage you to find a different career. And I'm gonna say that as hard as I said it, because it's right there. Affordability is right along with all the other things. And when you write a code change proposal, it is mandatory to write a cost impact statement. You can't just propose anything you want. You have to say, will this increase the cost of construction, decrease or remain the same? And the International Code Council has gotten very hard about that. You actually have to do research. I put a proposal forward related to fire, fire rated drywall and I had to calculate like an estimated amount of sheets of drywall, figure out the local costs of drywall and then try to provide a legit estimate. And they still refused it. They wrote me back and said, <laughs> your cost impact statement isn't sufficient enough for this proposal to move forward. So yeah. it is such a key part of it, that affordability. Yeah. I love that. That's yeah. I'm like that is something I would have never yeah. thought about. That's really eye opening. Once again, you have uh, made building codes very exciting and, and yeah. entertaining. <laughs> um, I think uh, one other thing I wanted to know, because I have seen your, your very, very extensive library of uh, historical building code uh i don't know what do you call it uh editions yeah code books yeah. yeah how many do you have i haven't making a i haven't made an updated count recently but i'd estimate i'm getting close to a thousand. Oh my god wow. yeah the yeah. last count was a, a while ago and i was i was well over 750 <laughs> and i can think of a few big donations i literally just today i got a, a an email from a, a building department in Colorado with a picture saying, Hey Glenn, these books are going to the dumpster. Do you want them? <laughs> and um, I, so I've started a code book giveaway thing as yeah. well on my Instagram. Cause some of these books I get are only they're within the last 20 years and we still have a lot of governments on so those. Yeah. That. Yeah. So where the one, the picture I got had like 2015 and 2018 codes that are some haven't even, so they were yeah. going to throw them away. So yeah, I end up getting a lot of these big donations because my colleagues know my, in code, you know, yep. don't throw your yeah. books away. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one thing that I realized, I saw you. I think it was a, it was a, a code book about fire codes, uh, maybe sprinkler codes or something oh, uh -huh. that was so. It was maybe nineteen fifteen or, or something. It was really a long time ago. Um, I think when you see that you kind of like equate it to a time when it's like, like it seems they seem like more necessary. Like you see the, the value of those codes more. Cause it's like, 
oh yeah, in 1950, like people were dying in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. factory fires because there's no fire escape, there's no sprinkler system. Like, I think we we don't necessarily equate that as much uh, anymore because you know there's there's other factors. So, but still, people are are dying in in fires because of the uh, you know not enough fire protection and fire blocking and all that kind of stuff. But I, I just think you kind of like think of those things that you you hear about like the the what is it the triangle waste yeah, yeah. whatever mm-hmm. where you know the whole building went up and yeah. people were trapped and yeah. a lot of people died and when i saw that it it just it seems like at that point uh, for whatever reason it's like that's why it was started yeah. to to prevent yeah. that and i think yeah. it can get so convoluted now that it's you you kind of like it's easy to to forget that that is like those initial tenets of, of why this exists and why it's important. So, um, yeah, well, that's, uh, I'm cool. chomping at the bit to respond to that. It's, uh, you know, cause, um, because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's true. And I, and I, I sometimes feel this way about just other legislation in general, our, our lawmakers, our Congresses. And so it's like when, you know, you, you hear Congress, you hear them called lawmakers, you know, yeah. the lawmaker, the federal law, it, and it's like, well, maybe, maybe they don't. Maybe is there a point where we don't need to make laws? Like, is there a point where we have enough laws? <laughs> and I think about that in in that respect. But it's and I, it's in a way very much the same way with the building code. Like, and I think you hit on something correct. You're you're absolutely right. Those earlier years of building codes, we were coming up with fundamental new concepts about about human egress behaviors what do we do in a panic how are we gonna why can't we see the door that's right in front of us oh because it's actually masked with a cur- like learning through unfortunately horrible tragedies we made major impacts in this country and safety and we're at a point now where i i do tend to believe we're at we're we're able to now work on the code out of convenience and what i mean by that is when you're looking at the irc that book is more choice than it is mandates. Now, if you go back to 2015, it was all about mandates, right? Just look, these are the things we can't do because it's killing people. You get now and the IRC is off is like a cookbook. It's a book full of recipes for construction. So you compare the 2000 IRC to the 2021 IRC. The 2000 is like 560 pages. The 2021 is 1,100 something pages. So almost double in page count, but it's not double in mandatory restrictions or protections. It's providing new recipes. So we have you know, uh, insulated concrete forms and SIP panels. You could do steel framing and you can do wood framing. You can build your headers in five different ways. You can, we have appendix to the IRC that are separate adoptable chapters. There's straw bale construction. You want to know how to build a house out of straw bale? <laughs> the IRC has a recipe. Really? Straw clay, where you're, you're, you're matting together clay with straw. That's in there. Tiny houses are in there. Um, there was the recent one that just made it, uh, hemp lime. Hemp lime construction will be in the 2024 code. So these aren't more rules for our life safety. They're not more infringements on our freedom. They're actually just more recipes given to us to just follow. Like, hey, here's a way you can build. Uh, And so that's where I think some of the current growth. I can think of a lot of the the big heated arguments and things that were happening in recent code hearings I've attended, talking about energy storage systems. Well, we did... 
until those were created, we didn't figure out the hazards of them, the thermal runaway when they're, when they're burning up and the batteries are burning. Oh my gosh, this is a hazard. And then, we, then we're going to follow that with some codes. So we're also following all these new technologies. One exciting thing is uh, your wind, wind loads, seismic zone loads um, and uh, snow loads, a number of these different environmental loads, there's now actually going to be a internet URL in the website, in the code. First time in history, there'll be a website printed in the code. You can click that and go to an online interactive database and you can get exact snow load and wind loads for exact locations across the U.S. as opposed to going to a paper map in a book on an eight and a half. And yeah. so that's an example of like following technology. It's a convenience, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so we have figured out a lot of the major life safety stuff that we achieved yeah. you know, decades ago. That's... How long so have we been going? I feel like so I feel like we're like barely scratching. <laughs> I feel like I learned so much. I know. Uh, Forty minutes. Forty so, minutes. Okay. Yeah. All right. We still have some time. Um, <laughs> all right. I have a question for you. All right. um, I think that you are by far the most educated person on the code, and uh, you really have a good uh, bearing on the the fundamentals of why it's important with being affordable. So uh, imagine that you are in complete control of the international code and you make all the final decisions, what are the changes that you would make? You're going to try to get me in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? Um, yeah. All right. So some of the changes I would make and thinking about decks or thinking about everything, anything? everything you are the, the authoritarian leader of international code. Um, there are some changes there are some changes I'm aware of that were made in the code that I don't think were done through ethical practices. I think they were done by folks that went to the code hearings to not to contribute alongside others for the best choices and end result for the American people, but people that went there with the intention to win for what they want. And Sell a if product that's the intention, a... they will, in this case, yeah, I mean, it, good number of things, but... We'll keep it vague. They want to win what they want because of what they want. And so even though the system is, I, I think the ICC system is excellent in terms of how to develop these codes, transparent, bringing everyone together. But no system, any system is only as good as the people involved in it. And I, you know, I don't want to call things out, but, there, but I, I may. But there are two <laughs> particular very big instances that I feel like um, weren't ethically put in the code. And they weren't, uh, and they gamed the system for them. And one of those, I would say, is the residential fire sprinklers. And I just made a lot of enemies by saying that. But um, residential fire sprinklers were put into the code, the, the first major edition, 2009. Um, the way that it went about was just not in, what, not an ethical way. Not, it was legal. It was acceptable. But, you know, legal doesn't always mean morally right. That, yeah. that in the heart of hearts, you don't say, yeah, I kind of gamed it. And I think, I think everyone knows it was gamed. And then we see that when after that happened in the code, more than 50% of the, the states in the U.S. had to write legislation specifically prohibiting any local governments from requiring citizens to do that. So yeah. that tells me that we tried to come up with codes to recommend to governments at the ICC level, and the government said, yeah, we don't like it. And now it's been well over a decade, and I've seen too many instances where 
like I said, you probably shouldn't say the things like I'm saying, where people have, you know, folks are afraid to challenge it. And it's been so ingrained in here now that I don't think anyone, I've thought many times of coming out and challenging it, only challenging it to say this needs to come back to the table and we need to rediscuss it again. And if we as a collaborative group through the ICC process still think this is valid and we want to continue to promote this to governments, then we should. But it feels like you can't put it on the table again because it's fire sprinklers, it's life safety. Oh my gosh, this children yeah. died in the past and this and that. So that's one that I don't think should necessarily be pulled from the code, but I think does need to be revisited and get, get more honest involvement. And then I'm sorry about the energy code. Uh, there was some shady stuff that happened, I believe, from the 2018 to the 2021. And that's why we see a major increase in energy requirements in the 21. And again, there was a particular group involved with that. And I think they were involved to win and not involved to work together in America and compromise. So those would be two things. I would back off the, some of the insulation values and the 2021 IRC. In this climate zone, it's R60. Mm -hmm. um, and I would definitely back that back down. And I'm saying literally two weeks ago, I spent a week crawling around in a 412 pitch attic, hitting my head on collar ties. <laughs> and I put R70 in my attic. Yeah. So I'm not against insulation. Mm -hmm. I could afford it. Yeah. I, haven't, I wasn't worried about filling my fridge. I have food. We got, we got, I could afford to spend money on the insulation. So I, you know, but as a minimum code, I would believe that should be backed off. Um, I, th I think that yeah. uh, obviously energy, energy codes and, and all that is such a, a big push with, uh, you know, just increasing energy demands of, of our country and uh, supporting all of the electricity needs that, that we have. But it seems to me like almost a, a Band-Aid on uh, something that that is going to need a different solution later. You know, it's it's trying to preserve every bit of energy from our current grid when like it's it's very apparent that that we're going to need alternative energy sources. You know, we can we can up the insulation values of everything. We can we can do all of these things, and it's going to maybe uh, slow the the growth of our energy needs. But eventually, we're going to have to have some sort of alternative energy sources to solve this problem long term you know we can't uh just adding more insulation isn't gonna make the the coal last forever the oil last for the next Absolutely. hundred million years it's yeah. like we it's we're trying to like get a little bit more out of that and population is still growing no matter what energy use is going up so i think it's uh it's important and and i think uh yeah what i one thing i learned today is that goes against the affordability aspect of it which uh you know uh it, it seems like there are some people have ulterior motives and and housing and, and building is a big industry so there's a lot of people that uh no matter what the code is manufacturers and, and lots of industries uh can make or lose a lot of money depending on the the, the code that comes out so yeah. i think that opens it up to uh people not having the right motives, but well, energy, I mean, it, energy is that example. I mean, I just can't, I can't say it enough. I'm not against energy efficiency, doing better for our planet. Like I'm not, yeah. but I know there has to be balance. And I also know that the truth behind it is that it's very much a, a federal government funded movement uh, ever since the 1970s. And that's like a whole hour podcast in and of itself, <laughs> but the federal government has no authority 
uh, over building codes. They have to write proposals just like anybody else. Department of Energy has been at the ICC hearings with their proposals. Um, what they can provide is funding. They can offer, and so since the 70s, there's been grant after grant, funding opportunity after funding in order to encourage state governments to increase their energy efficiency. And so if, if the motivation to, to respond, the state governments, if they, if they bring up their energy efficiency to certain levels, they can receive this federal funding to do wonderful things in their community. That's all wonderful. Money uh, makes the world go round, like it or not. Um, but as a, as a proud member of We the People, if the motivation of the state and local governments to change the regulations of the built environment that the people are living in, if that motivation is coming from federal funding, it's the wrong motivation. It needs to be coming from the people. So it's that example where I feel like the code is leading society instead of society leading the code. So when it comes to energy efficiency and, and solving that crisis and problem in this country, I think the biggest thing is we need to change the human behavior. We need to convince society it matters, that it's important. Yeah. Um, and then let them be the ones asking for these higher insulation levels and these things. And let it, let it come that direction. Yeah. Um, I think that's, yeah. that's a great point. And I think it, it ultimately lends itself to needing some more renewable energy sources, some sort of, uh, you know, I don't know much about energy uh, creation, whether solar is a good option or wind or whatever, but something renewable uh, at some point needs to be a viable option to uh, keep us on this Absolutely. path that we're on of energy use without uh, the complete destruction of our society. Uh, so hopefully some, maybe somebody that's listening will get on that. <laughs> maybe yeah. yeah if anybody's got any input on that uh that'd be great yeah. so uh and there's great uh, movements in those directions you know the, a lot of folk with the ground source heat pumps and air source heat pumps that can then use electrification and then if, if you're using electrification you can create that electricity on site you know via solar wind power so i mean we're seeing the movements in these directions but they have to be balanced with that we still have to house our fellow humans. Yeah. You know, and that nothing is destroying energy uses as bad as our existing stock of homes. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's why I, I spent the first week of this year in that attic sealing top plates and insulating because I finally got embarrassed enough that I live in a 1950s house that was leaky, energy hog. My electric bills were crazy, but, you know, I'm busy working. I'm trying to make a living. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, it hit me like I'm teaching at these building science symposiums now and teaching this. It's time to invest in my own house, yeah. you know, but I'm the problem. Mm -hmm. how, how many years did I go just paying unfortunately high energy bills before I finally got the motivation to be like, man, I need to get up there and insulate this attic and get that covered. So I think that's what we need more of. You know, it has to, we have to drive this from the people and then the changes will be more long lasting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that the people want. They, they're not forced to, uh, you know, comply with. It's not an order. It's a, uh, it's a request from them and for them. Uh, yeah, I think that's, yeah. you know, the energy code requires like in commercial, they require vestibules for if you're over a certain size square footage, I think it's like 3000. Now I can't remember off the top of my head. That's great. That's fine. A vestibule, you know, two door operations so that you create the airlock and you're not bleeding it out. Mm -hmm. I have so many pictures of for, for education where I go establishments that have, that have jammed open one of the doors. 
So yeah. it's just like your code is only as good as the as people willing to maintain it, understand it, yeah. and and continue it. So willful compliance that comes from the people is the longest lasting. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the most effective, most 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 makes the most effect out there. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think it comes back to education. It does. Like when I worked in commercial real estate, there was tons of people that would do stuff like that, and you're like, you, they don't even know it. So there are these LED certified, environmentally friendly buildings, but then people would do stuff like that, and you're like, exactly. You're you're <laughs> bragging about this thing, and then you are completely ignoring all of the benefits that it had yeah. so i got i got my, my newest car i've ever I got recently I, I drive older cars but i got i got a 2016 outback recently i was driving my 99 land cruiser i kept it <laughs> i still don't know anything on how to function that car <laughs> like again so, so i'm saying is like i've been provided all this fancy stuff in this car that does all this ridiculous fancy stuff and it's like okay but unless i can engage with it and understand yeah. it and want it and care about those features they're never actually going to do anything for me, yeah. but they look really good, you know, uh, in the specs, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Same random analogy, but same kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Absolutely. I, I, I feel like I have so much to digest from this episode. Uh, I feel like I've learned <laughs> yeah, a I need lot. To read the code book. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it's like you, you explain it in a way that makes it sound like a best-selling novel that like you, you have <laughs> yeah. to, you know, with the, with the way you just uh, introduced the, the, intent or whatever you say this was designed you know it's almost like uh, the beginning of a great story <laughs> you know? and, uh, and i think if, if builders can look at it in just a different light because especially when i first started it was like i looked at all these little code things as as just ah oh, they're just trying to you know bust our balls for something when mm-hmm. you know when you look at it a different way and you and you kind of look at it with some fascination and some some curiosity it's it's almost like you know, you can you can look up one thing and then you know kind of go down a rabbit hole like, oh well, how does this affect this thing? Let me flip to this page and then you get more understanding of it's not just a, a rote memorization of a code; it's an understanding of the underlying principles. And I think that's the part that's interesting that gets not really addressed or talked about. People yeah. just uh, the book doesn't tell you it. why. Yeah, it just gives you the end results of it. You know, you have to almost either trust the system that came before it. But then, then it's just black and white words. Then you don't know how to adapt those words into all the various conditions and applications that we see out there where, yeah. where you have to know why the words say it so then you can know how to be flexible with that. And that's where we can all benefit from that understanding because a builder can't suggest a little flexibility within the intent unless they know it. Yeah. And the inspector can't approve something that is perfectly fine but not exactly the way it was written unless they understand why it was written that way yeah i i think uh we've experienced that a lot of times with certain building inspectors just being more like no this is you have to do this and uh you know it might be something that that i looked into and i'm like well you know it actually does you know we we do have this flexibility i think the ideal situation is because there are so many you know situations that can be not explicitly explained by the code it has to in some capacity be interpreted so i think the ideal situation is a building inspector that has a passion and understanding for the underlying principles and also a builder that understands the principles so that on the job site during an inspection there can be like a collaborative conversation about the end goal which should be the same on both sides so absolutely uh, and you know i mean and for the record you know, guys, I started in construction as a laborer at age 19. 
know, I'm the black sheep of the family without the college degree. My dad's a professor. <laughs> my wife, my daughter's now, or my uh, sister's now a professor. Um, I was, I'm moving to Colorado to go snowboarding. And then I got into construction at 19 as a laborer. And then I've worked my way through that. Um, I finished my basement at my house. I bought my house when I was 23. So four years after being a laborer. By then I was building and, you know, and, but I knew, I knew what I knew. Right. And I finished my basement without a permit. Yeah. Like I'm not shaming anybody for their dislike. And that's because I hated the building. I was like, no yeah. way. I'm not going to tell me what to do in my house. I had the arrogance. Mm-hmm. I had the, the youthful close mindedness to being challenged. And I also simply did not appreciate or believe in the value of the building department. But there wasn't a positive voice out there to help me be appreciative. I, I, I got in, like a lot of people, in Colorado, we don't have unions. You just learn from whoever hired you. Mm-hmm. So, right, I'm learning whoever hired me. And what do you hear out there in the field, in the trades? Bad-mouthing of the inspectors, <laughs> bad-mouthing of the code. So, you know, young guys like me, all they're hearing is bad-mouthing. Now, I've since gone back and fixed some things I did that were stupid in my basement because <laughs> I did grow and learn better, you know. Yeah. Um, but I've been there. I know what it's like to be alienated from a building department where you're just like, you're never coming in here again, you know? Yeah. Like I get it. So it, mm-hmm. both of us have, both sides have to be willing to be open-minded to the other part of the team and, and maybe learn some, some uh, perspective of that part of the team. Yeah. yeah. But, but I'm just saying I've been there. So I'm, I'm not yeah. some goody goody, like judging people that, don't like codes or have had bad experiences or have done work without permit. I've raised my hand to all three of those. <laughs> I think everybody, if they're yeah. being honest, can uh, can raise their hand for that, especially when they're getting started. And uh, I've definitely been there. But I think it all comes back to uh, just like a uh, desire to learn and desire to, to grow. And um, I think for me, just listening to you speak about the code as, as put it in a new light for me and, and made it interesting. I think like this is probably going to be one of the most interesting podcasts for uh, all of our listeners because uh, no, I mean, normally it's just kind of us talking about all the stuff that we don't really know how to do in business. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we've, this one is the most uh, knowledge packed for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I, think- I got to correct you earlier at the beginning of this. You said, I'm like, I'm probably the most knowledgeable person. I'm just very vocal. I just there. I, I have some excellent mentors. So many people that have have guided me to where I am, and I know so many code people that are just as sharp or sharper than me. The difference is, I think, with me, is I, I have a motivation and a passion and a will to share that with the public. Yeah. Um, yeah. And since I'm one of the few people doing that, thank you for the for the respect. But a lot of people know code. I'm just one yeah. that's loud about it. Yeah. You're the only one I know. <laughs> You're the only one that's yeah. on TikTok, I believe. Yeah. You might start a trend. I'm so good yeah. at explaining it. I, I, I certainly dominated if you search yep. building codes on TikTok. Yep. I got to work on Instagram now. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. I, I think, I mean, we could sit here and talk for uh, the next probably 100 years about, <laughs> about building codes, and I would learn uh, a lot. But uh, tell us, you know, if people want to learn some more, because I know you have courses, I know you have, uh, you know, some things. What if, if people are listening and they want to, they want to learn more, they want to take a course, they, they just want to expand their knowledge, like where should they go to learn more about uh, what you do? My website is buildingcodecollege.com. 
it's not a college. It's just a catchy word. It's a catchy name. Uh, maybe someday, right? But uh, building Do you have to take out student loans to go there? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm actually very proud to be, I don't care what the market rate is because my goal isn't just make as much money as possible. I'm in this for the long game and I'm in this for making a difference while I'm here and of course making a living. So I don't base my my prices on market value. I'm I'm stupidly lower than comparable education from other from the code providers that provide, you know, ICC, yeah. Red Vector, a lot of these bigger corporations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so buildingcodecollege.com, it's small company, it's independent, it's completely my voice, so it's not bought out by anyone else. I can say what I want to say. You're learning purely non-biased code education for one purpose only and that's to learn code. There's no product placement. There's no other agendas into it. Um, they're on-demand courses, and everything's priced at $15 an hour for live webinars as well as on-demand courses. So if it's a three-hour on-demand course, it's $45. Um, and all of the on-demand courses, are a three-hour course will be broken into multiple sessions. Each session has a video a practice quiz, and then what I call the self-study that links you to other other educational information. Um, but the first video of every on-demand course is right there in the course catalog. It's the thumbnail image, and you just click it and watch it. I don't force you to sign up so I can collect your email to market to you. That's you know, hey, I want to make the education available first. And if you watch, you can go down all my courses, watch those first videos. Some of them are 45 minutes long and they're not trial videos. They're not partial. They're not going to cut you off. It's the whole first session video. And if you find value to what you learn there, then, you know, I'd hope you'd enroll and help support what I'm doing. Uh, I, I think that amazing. that's amazing that you're making it accessible because uh one thing that i actually learned was one of the key tenets of the code itself is affordability something i recently <laughs> learned so yeah. uh, i like that you're that you're using yeah. that um, living your value you're so close. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh thank you so much for being on here we yeah, will link thanks. to all of your stuff um you know uh uh, I think I think everybody can take away a lot from this. If nothing else, if no like actual knowledgeable nuggets, just a an appreciation for the existence of the code and maybe a different perspective when the inspector strolls up. You know, maybe maybe greet him with a smile this time and and uh, say, "Hey, <laughs> thanks for doing what you do." They'll probably be caught off guard, and you know, it might <laughs> it might uh, lead to uh, at least a conversation. So. Um, yeah, I appreciate a, you you being on here and uh, to a prepared contractor, an educated contractor whose ceiling is the latest knowledge, the inspector just becomes your back. Yeah, they got your back. They're no longer, they're now behind you. Yeah, and they're there just to, and that's great. Like the amount when you know being thanked as an inspector when someone does miss a steel beam or put something, we all make mistakes. Yeah. And, it, you know, and if, you, if you're proud of what you know, then the inspector, like I say, becomes, like, helpful to you. Like, someone, making sure you didn't miss something. Yeah. yeah. That, isn't that great? Like, wouldn't we all, you know? And I think most, yeah. most people or most inspectors in our experience, you know, they, they, do, they do point out stuff that we miss, which, which I always welcome. But they do it, you know, when you work in a jurisdiction, you know, a couple times you get to know the inspectors. And they see... Yeah, you might have missed this, but they see a bunch of other places where, like, you really went an extra mile. Like, you know, they know that you're not trying to purposely skip stuff. So I've had inspectors kind of come out and they're like, yeah, you know, you might want to look at um, these these, uh, screws that you're using in this application. Uh, 
it's it's fine. It's completely to code, but um, you know, it might be something down the line that doesn't have the sheer strength of uh, something else. It's completely good, but hey, it might might be something that you want to look into. And I'm always at least interested to to learn more about what we can do to, to make things a little bit better. And if it's using a different type of screw for a certain scenario that might not even be a structural thing, it's more of a, uh, a detail that's not going to, the structure's not going to fail because of it, but they're there. I, I kind of uh, go up to them with a, a willingness to learn and openness and they'll I'll, almost every time they come, I learn something. So it's, it's cool. Yeah, and, and they I love think that. You should give yourself a lot of because that same inspector appreciate that, that treats yeah. <laughs> you like part of the team. Yeah, it's because you treat them like part of the team. Yeah, because I'm that. Like again, it's human nature. I, I when I was an inspector, people who treated me as just part of the team with respect, like mutual respect, I can I can treat them that way. I can trust them. I have a level of of, of faith and understanding. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can go to the very same day to a different inspection. And I don't get the same vibe from that person at all. Yeah. They're not going to get the same inspection from me. Yeah. And so the reason you probably see that teamwork from those inspectors has a lot to do with you you presenting that teamwork to them initially. Yeah. I think that goes for every interaction you have with Absolutely. anybody. It's so if true. you if you you know treat them with respect and and just appreciate uh, you know even if you don't. Love the fact that they're there inspecting it. Appreciate that they're doing their job. They're there for a reason. They're not there solely to take you down and ruin your day. Um, you know, and you, and you just go at it with a little bit of a different perspective and uh, try to try to maybe learn a couple things. Then uh, you're going to see their attitude completely change, and uh, everybody's going to be hopefully the better for it. And isn't that what we want out there, right? In yeah. All scenarios like I don't want to. Uh, we have inspectors come. At least ten percent of the days that we're working, we have an inspector inspection scheduled. I don't want ten percent of my working days to be all stressed out, like oh exactly. god, the inspector's gonna be here. <laughs> yeah, like, right? I want to be like, hey, Jack, what's going on, man? Yeah, you know, I want to like, you know, and, and then he'll point something out and be like, you gotta do that, and I'm like, all right, yeah, I can't believe I forgot that. <laughs> Good thing you pointed that out because, uh, totally. you know. Uh yeah. All right. Well. All right. Well, we I better stop bringing time. up more things. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you, like, you're like, well, I, I Western. Well, time to go. I think over. that we can. I think we can do this again uh, at the next event that we're at together. I think people. I think people are really going to love this episode, and yeah, we can talk so. about so many other things. So uh, no, I really I appreciate I, it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me here. Thanks you for know, waiting like around for code. it. I'm glad that yeah. you that you waited so we could do this. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I'm home. This is Deck Superstore. That's right. This is, yeah. this is, this we, is we're the ones that here. we're not going to miss our flight, are we? Is it still no, still we're Tuesday? Good. We're still good. Okay, perfect. Still, yeah, perfect. Okay. Day. All right. Awesome. Well, <laughs> till next time. This has been the Hardworking Happy Hour. See you next week. <laughs>